You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. Today, we have a very special guest. We are here with Jack Sherry, the Chief Growth Officer at LifeYield. Jack is one of the leading advocates for the future of financial advice, combining financial advice and technology to improve outcomes for all. Jack, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to be here with you, Tommy. Thanks. Well, Jack, we're going to talk a lot today about how somebody can actually make sure that they have a truly coordinated portfolio. Very few people out there actually do. So I know our listeners are going to be really excited about that. But before we jump into that part, Jack, I want to hear your story. So one of the things our listeners love to hear about is uh, most of our guests really had kind of a breakthrough moment in their careers that they can point back to and say, you know, this was really that move that catapulted my success. So what would that be for you, Jack? So probably that breakthrough moment for me occurred when I was uh, first a wholesaler. That's where I started in this business, financial wholesaler. I was traveling with my boss for the first time. I was in my early 30s at the time, didn't know uh, much about anything, but I certainly didn't know anything about selling. And what had happened was my my boss was with me. We were calling on a what was then a Payne Weber office in Hartford, Connecticut. And after talking to a bunch of advisors that morning and telling my story and doing my feature and benefit pitch on our wonderful product. We went to lunch with my my boss and I, and he said to me, so uh, tell me, what'd you learn today? And uh, I had to think for a minute and I couldn't think of anything. And I hemmed and I hawed and I finally had to admit, I, I can't think of anything. He said, well, that's exactly right. You'd learn anything today because you didn't ask one question. How are you going to learn anything unless you ask questions? And it sort of set me on a path, and I've actually written a book on the topic about listening. And so over the past many decades since, I've become a pretty good listener, and I wrote the book on, I wrote a book, or the book, uh, on authentic and ethical persuasion, which starts with committed listening and with uh, compelling storytelling. And that's what I do. So I started in this business as as a salesperson, and today my clients are C-suite level folks at the largest financial institutions literally in the world. And it all starts with listening. So I was on the phone earlier today with the former head of Merrill Lynch. And we were chatting about Total Merrill from days gone by. And he schooled me on what they did and how they did it. And I'll share that story with the next C-suite executive as I tell the story one more time. So it's a, it's a function of the breakthrough moment for me is I, I learned the power of listening. And then I pick up some really great stories that people want to hear about. So uh, that's what I do. And uh, along the way, we built up a pretty strong company in, in, our, in my company, Lifefield. Well, we're excited to hear some of those stories today, Jack. So thanks for sharing that. So, you know, you started out as a wholesaler and along the years, you've made this leap into executive and, and management with Lifefield. Tell us about some of the journey along the way that got you to where you are today. Well, um, after uh, succeeding, frankly, I ended up because I followed my boss's advice way back when, where he told me to listen more and talk less. I went on to become national sales manager at what was then Dean Winter, now is Morgan Stanley at in one of the product areas. From there, ended up sales at Putnam Investments, one of the large mutual fund companies, particularly at that time. Went on to uh, be the president of distribution at a company called Phoenix Investment Partners, now called Virtus Investment Partners, a uh, 
collection of boutique asset managers. So along the way, I've I've had an opportunity to innovate. Actually, I have a patent under my belt, financial patent, which is rare. I put together a lot of different concepts and ideas as a way to show advisors how to be more productive and effective. And along the way, I've done that with annuities. I've done that with separately managed accounts, with mutual funds, with a variety of different product types. But along the way, I also made sure that we had value-added programs that would help them sell more. And so it wasn't too much of a leap where I joined Lifefield about 13 years ago as uh, as a startup. I was not one of the founders, but joined the company a few months later or in, into it and essentially have uh, built up our client list in terms of calling on C-suite level execs at places like Merrill, Morgan, UBS, Edward Jones, Schwab, Fidelity, or InvestNet, Orion. We're, we're working with all the, the major firms and our software is embedded. You don't see our name so much because we're in the midst of their platform around managing at the household level. We'll talk some more about that in a little bit. But really took the, the ability to listen well, to understand what uh, my clients were trying to achieve. And this is just as true at the executive level. And what we were able to do is we were able to uh, show them how to improve their business, how to do more and better business, uh, something I started my career with. And to this day, I'm talking to senior execs all the time, trying to find out what their pain point is, what their issues are, how our technology might be able to help. And if ours doesn't fit, who they might work with to advance their cause. I'm always looking to add value in my conversations. And because of that, people pick up the phone, people uh, pay attention to what I have to offer because I'm usually sharing a a fellow exec's success or challenge or what have you that might be beneficial as they're putting what they're putting together. But we work well together as fellow execs trying to figure out how to do a better job of improving outcomes for investors, advisors, and their firms. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I love it. So Jack, you know, our our listeners are primarily founders of companies and then also investors in founders. I think they'd love to hear the story of how Lifefield was actually forged. Uh, I know you weren't part of the very original founding team, but came in pretty quickly thereafter. So you've gotten to see the company grow from a little seedling to the dominant market player that it is today. Could you tell us a little bit about how the company got started? So the, uh, the original founders of Lifefield, uh, Mark Hoffman is the CEO. Paul Samuelson is the chief investment officer. You may recognize that name. Paul's dad was a Nobel laureate, literally wrote the book on economics, advisor to five presidents. And Paul's uh, been around the, the block. We'll talk some more about that in a moment. But he and his dad kind of came up with the idea originally. I'll share some more in a moment on that. And the other key founder was uh, Michael Benedict, who was investment banker by by background. And uh, the three of them had been together in a prior company, Upstream Technologies, which was bought by what became Fiserv and is then Tegra 118. And now it's uh, InvestCloud. But that they had a company that got started. And as they were looking for their next deal, they, they saw it was about 13, 14 years ago that it was all going to be around retirement income and around managing multiple accounts in a tax smart way. And Paul, frankly, the brains of the outfit from an algorithmic standpoint, he and his dad had talked about that for years, about how to be a successful investor. And their idea was pretty simple. Buy low-cost index-type funds, never sell, don't pay taxes, taxes are the enemy, and over time, draw it down. But when it came to drawing it down, no one knew how to do that effectively with IRAs and taxable accounts and what have you. So what's what's the the optimal sequence of withdrawal? And that's really what Paul went to work on, on in terms of the uh, the algorithm. Mark's background, he and Mark and Paul had worked at uh, the old Colonial Funds, which is now part of Columbia many years later. But uh, Colonial Funds, Paul was the portfolio manager and Mark was the uh, software guy making his index-oriented type investing work. And so they had gotten together way back when. 
And then Michael joined them along the way, more from a, from a legal and operational background. And they, they formed the company. I was invited in early on because, frankly, I, I kind of knew everybody. I grew up in the business and the senior execs at these firms were folks I started in the business with often. So I was able to get appointments, get in the door, tell our story. And it only took us uh, eight years before we made our first significant sale. <laughs> it's the longest lead time I've, I've ever heard in terms of sales cycle. But we had an idea that was way ahead of its time, which is to, how do you manage all the accounts in a household? And let me, let me talk a little bit, Tommy, if I could, about that. The typical household, U.S. household, and our target market for what we are able to, to do is households between half a million and $3 million in terms of investable assets, which is about 80%, 90% of the market. That's where all the money is. But the people that have that money have uh, multiple, multiple accounts, typically five to seven accounts. Uh, I'm sorry, five to seven products, five to seven accounts, depending on how they've set themselves up. Jack, in the in the doctor world where, you know, I, I spend a lot of my career, uh, the typical that we had, the average number of accounts per household was somewhere between 12 to 14. So in, in the doctor space, especially if they work in an academic setting with a, you know, a 457 and a 403B and all these types of plans, it could get really complex. And and just to give some context to our listeners, what you're going to hear from Jack is that in the past, as crazy as this sounds, there was no way to coordinate all of those accounts together. That's what Jack's talking about. So if you had 12 different investment accounts, there was no way to say, well, how do I make sure what I'm doing in account number one is properly integrated with what I'm doing in account number eight and nine and you know, all 12 of those. So sorry to interrupt, Jack. I just want to give context in the in the doctor space. And we do have quite a few doctors as listeners. It's something closer to 12 accounts on average per household. No, no surprise. And that is the challenge. And as we well know, and don't fully factor in or consider is that each is taxed a bit differently. So you've got your IRAs taxed one way, your Roths another way, your taxable accounts, trust accounts. You've got all these different account types 403B, 457, 401k, you've got all these, and they're spread all over the place. So you literally can't do it. So what, what has happened with the advance of technology, and we've played a leading role, frankly, in pulling this all together, is that if you start with, as you're accumulating, if you, if you set up for tax smart asset location, in other words, have your highly taxed accounts in IRAs or qualified accounts, and you have your tax efficient assets in taxable accounts, and you still maintain your asset allocation in terms of what you want to do. If you get the TaxMart location set and allocation set, what you're going to do is have more money. So we, by the way, early on, we we hired uh, at the request of our initial client and investor, SunTrust Banks, now Truist. They asked that we have an independent survey or methodology check done on our, our algorithms. And we hired Ernst & Young to do an independent analysis. And what they found is on a million-dollar household, we can improve outcomes by a third. So improved after-tax returns and income over time by one-third is, is pretty eye-popping. And it's all around starting with asset location. And what we also do as you're managing it over time, we can provide guidance through our software around how to manage and rebalance the accounts as market uh, events might occur or circumstances might occur, how to maintain a tax efficient uh, management of all the accounts. And then when it comes to drawdown, draw down in a, an optimal sequence of how to draw down across all those assets. So the impact is significant. If you can improve outcome over the course of the arc of retirement by over a third, it's pretty dramatic. 
That's incredibly dramatic. I always like to give the example, Jack, when I was in the business of financial advising with doctors, we actually had a doctor that retired and needed $200,000 a year of income. And if all of that income had to come out of an IRA, that would have been a pretty tax heavy endeavor. But instead, he was able to minimize and only take $100,000 out of his IRA. And people don't realize this, but, you know, we're sitting here at the time it was, you know, maybe uh, 2018. And the, ta- the federal tax on $100,000 out of an IRA was really only $12,000. And then he was able to take his other $100,000 out of a more strategic account truly on a tax-free basis. So here we had somebody in retirement, $200,000 of income, paying $12,000 in taxes. 6% tax rate, sign me up for that in retirement. I'd be happy at that 6% tax rate. And so, you know, to have an opportunity to be thoughtful about where those dollars come from, whereas if that other 100,000 had come out of the IRA, it would have been closer to, you know, those dollars alone would have been taxed at about 22% or so. It was pretty significant. So that's why this stuff becomes so essential for people to think about. And everybody I talk to, Jack, there's like, there's no thought of how they're actually going to coordinate this for the future. One of the things to, to note, Tommy, that is sort of interesting and like all of our best ideas came about as a result of a client asking for it. When we first put together our capabilities, it was a start to finish with the asset location, the ongoing rebalancing, the income generation, including, by the way, Social Security. And one of the things that we discovered with one of our clients, actually it was Franklin Templeton, uh, they asked, could we just take out the Social Security tool and just make that available to their sales force who would make it available to advisors and the clients. So we did that. And that was about 10, 10 or so years ago. And we have a social security tool that Franklin Templeton, New York Life, Northwestern Mutual, Jackson National, Allianz, Morgan Stanley, a bunch of firms use Merrill. They all use our social security tool. We're told, by the way, at Merrill in particular, shared with us that 98% of their advisors use the tool. And what it is, is it basically tells people when they should file for social security, how to file and how much more money they'll have. We'll talk about quantification of benefit in a little bit, but suffice it to say with our tool, we'll tell you how much more money you have. And for a typical household that we look at, we're going to help them figure out a way to find $150,000 more over a 10-year period by using our Social Security tool. So it's found money just by taking advantage of the fact that the federal government gives you an 8% raise between the age of 62 and 70. So if you take advantage of that, you'll have about 150 grand on average. And we have about 100,000 advisors that use this tool. So it's wildly popular. And in light of what's happening now with more people retiring every day than ever before and more people retiring earlier than ever before, what's their first question? When should I take Social Security? Absolutely. And Jack, most of our listeners would have no clue that there's actually 256 different ways to elect Social Security as a couple. That's just how that is, is just unfathomable to me, but that's the reality. And if when most people think they think I'm just going to elect Social Security once and call it a day, and yet most couples really need to be adapting the way that they're taking Social Security if they want to maximize their income benefits over time. And so the tool that you guys have created is just so essential for people to get their arms around that optimum strategy for their family. 
And the thing we find, Tommy, that's so important is it's the answers the first question. And if, for those advisors that might be listening in, it, what it does is it it leads to doing something about it, namely buying a product, to implementing some way to defer or to generate income while you're waiting between, say, age 62 and 70 if people want to retire earlier. It begets a conversation, a planning conversation, which is why it's so popular with both the investor who gets the answer and more money over time and the advisor who can then suggest, here's how we bridge the gap. Well, the interesting thing about that is it's it's what we call a micro-engagement. It's a way for an advisor to engage the investor, and particularly now with so many people retiring. Well, we have that as a standalone tool, and it's used across the industry. It's really the, the industry leader by far. But we also have it incorporated into our full capability. So when you go to draw income over time, we can incorporate or build a, a floor, if you will, of, of the income on the Social Security front. Oftentimes, it's deferred income, but however it is, we'll, we'll suggest how to layer income over time to maximize income from Social Security and from tax optimization. So what we're doing is we're creating a, a much better tax-smart retirement paycheck. So important for everybody out there that is getting close to that stage of moving from accumulating dollars to actually retiring and having to live off of the nest egg they've built. Uh, what you're hearing Jack say is that doing that wisely, thoughtfully on the tax side, on the risk side, on the incorporation of Social Security is all super, super important. And if you don't do those things, you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. Yeah. Let me talk a little bit about, you just mentioned the, the key levers to improving outcome. It's managing risk, minimizing tax, maximizing Social Security. If you do all that, cost, risk, tax, and Social Security, you have more money. That's really what it comes down to. But the problem is, and the challenge is, and frankly, the opportunity uh, for our company and for the people with whom we work, and we work with pretty much almost everyone in the industry, it seems at this point, not everyone, but we're on, on track to work with pretty close to everyone, is that basically we quantify the benefit of all the actions that we recommend. We don't happen to do the risk piece, but at Morgan Stanley, as an example, BlackRock's Aladdin does the risk piece. We're fully coordinated what they do on risk. We do the tax piece. We haven't launched it just yet, but we're about to launch. We will be launching it soon enough on the Social Security front. So as you coordinate all of that, what we're doing is maximizing the retirement paycheck for that client. And what it what ends up happening for the advisor and why the firms, frankly, love us, a couple of reasons. One, we minimize compliance because we have algorithms working at this. This is not human error or judgment. This is algorithmic content with some clear inputs. But what we're able to do is we then quantify the benefit to the client. So we avoid the any kind of compliance issue because it's all is all overseen in terms of how it's managed. But what we're also doing is we also show a, a dollar benefit. So as an example, when we talk about asset location, we talked about that earlier. For that typical household that we're talking about, that's another $150,000 of incremental value in terms of improved outcomes. So if you can add $150,000 on Social Security and $150,000 on asset location, again, this is over a 10-year period, that's $300,000 of found money just through inefficiency. That's that confluence of human and digital advice I was talking about earlier. That's so important. And, you know, for some of our listeners, as uh, you know, we have a bent toward venture capital in what we do at Mammoth. And for a lot of our listeners, so if you think about this concept of tax location, what we're talking about is let's say we have an account that's going to grow tax-free as long as we play by the rules like a Roth IRA. 
Well, that's probably not the place that we want to have our really conservative stuff because it grows totally tax-free for us. And conversely, over in the in the IRA space, definitely not where we would want to have something like a municipal bond that has inherent tax advantages that we're just throwing away inside of this IRA. So as it relates to venture capital, for our listeners out there that are investors in the venture capital space, I always think of it this way. If I had my perfect world and I had time and I had that access, I would love for some of my venture dollars to be in my Roth IRA, where as long as I played by the rules, those could grow totally tax-free. Because obviously in the venture space, it's really at the pinnacle of risk and reward where if things go well, it's a really handsome reward. And I would love for that to be tax-free. You know, Tommy, that's what I, exactly what I've done with my life yield holdings. They're in my Roth. I love it. I love it. And, and yet, Jack, we sit here today in early October 2021, and there's actually legislation in front of Congress right now that would prohibit any private holdings inside of IRAs or Roth IRAs moving forward. It's part of our 35 trillion dollar legislation currently being worked out by our friends in Washington. And uh, my sure hope is that that aspect of, you know, disallowing private investment inside of IRAs and Roth IRAs would go away. Little known fact, one of the things in that bill right now is that we would all have two years to get rid of those private holdings out of our IRAs if it's passed as it's currently worded. So I would have to sell a lot of private investments. You would have to get rid of your life yield holdings out of your Roth IRA. So hopefully we won't have that piece see the light of day. Uh, We'll certainly keep our listeners updated. But the concept of making sure that we're paying attention to taxes, here's how you know you're not doing it. If you look at your accounts right now as a listener and the structure of those accounts is basically the same across every single account. If your plan was to have 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds or something more sophisticated, if you see every single account you have is structured exactly the same way, that should be red flags going off that your advisor does not have Life Yields Engine supporting them to make sure that you are being a lot more strategic about the way you're invested. Sorry for the interjection, Jack, but I want to make sure our listeners know uh, how to go check if they are actually paying attention to this stuff or not, because I think most people don't even know. And and that's been our experience, Tommy, is that most people don't know. They're unaware. It's just something that you figure, you know, death and taxes, it's inevitable. It's what happens. But what we're seeing, and this is a clear trend across the industry and those who are Paying attention from a venture capital standpoint, there's a lot of movement toward uh, what is called the unified managed household. In other words, managing all the assets, all the products, and what we call a risk-smart, tax-smart, coordinated way. And the key word there is coordination. Uh, you need to coordinate all this. You need to coordinate the asset location with the income generation and the rebalancing. You need to coordinate with a, a household-level financial plan. You need to coordinate the data from either multiple custodians or, frankly, it needs to really be consolidated. 
And for the the businesses that we work with, the the large warehouse firms, the the firms that support the RIA, the registered investment advisor space, like Orion and Investment Investnet, what they're recognizing is they need to help demonstrate to the to the client through their their advisor demonstrate the value of consolidation, and that's a lot of what we do. Our our software is designed to demonstrate value in dollars and cents. So when you can show someone that they're going to have $300,000 additional capital because they've minimized tax and they've maximized Social Security, the tendency is to consolidate. So that's why we've had such great success with the large enterprises, because as Andy Saperstein, who heads up Morgan Stanley Wealth Management, has pointed out, they have about, at this point, it's over $3 trillion of assets under management. And they know that half of those assets are somewhere else. And their objective as a growth strategy is to get all those assets in one place, namely their firm. And we're, we're a critical component in that effort. Well, Jack, this has been wonderful. We now get to move into my favorite segment where I get to ask two questions. The first is the question that all of our listeners are wondering, which really means it's the question I'm wondering. You mentioned earlier, you actually have a financial patent. This is like, you're my hero. Uh, I've tried to think of financial patents over the years and uh, just have never gotten all the way across the finish line on that. But what is your financial patent actually related to? Well, way back when, when uh, advisory, basically managing money with, for a fee, uh, was emerging, I was working for an insurance company at the time, also overseeing our, our managed money business at that firm. It was Phoenix Investment Partners and the insurance company at the time was Phoenix uh, Life. We developed an income guarantee on a separately managed account. And so uh, we got a patent, myself and the actuary. I'm, I'm not an actuary by any means, but a lot of actuarial stuff that goes on with any kind of guarantee. My friend Mitch Catcher, uh, who's the head actuary at Phoenix at the time, uh, he and I cooked that up and we actually made it available through a company called Lockwood, which is now part of Pershing. So uh, we were the first to do that. Sadly, uh, it didn't go very far, but it, we were very pleased that we were able to get a patent and uh, the marketplace was not looking for guarantees. They were the market is a, I don't know if you noticed, but for the past uh, many decades it only seems to go up. I, there's some hiccups now and again, but uh, largely goes up. So it didn't play out as well as we might have liked, but it was kind of fun to get the patent and it's, it's legit. So it's uh, the U.S. Patent Office. Well, you were a little bit ahead of your time. Lincoln Life obviously came back a little bit later with a not too dissimilar patent that they had they just us. tremendous they success us. with. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you guys, again, you were just a little ahead of your time, Jack. So, sure. Yeah, well, it was you. also a little different. It was a little different in that they had some distribution that we didn't have. But in any event, it was a lot of fun. Glad to be an innovator once again. Well, here's the real question that people are asking is just if somebody out there is listening and they have the opportunity to influence inside of a financial firm, probably a larger enterprise uh, that is not yet taking advantage of these things and they're listening saying, oh, no, our clients aren't coordinating across multiple households. Our clients aren't building in social security planning or our clients aren't even thinking about how their accounts should be totally different if it's a Roth versus a pre-tax IRA or a taxable account. Uh, what can they do if they want to make contact and get things moving with Life Yield? Well, they could call us and we could uh, have a conversation to talk to their firm that we may not be working with. We're currently working with many of the biggest names in the industry, but there are some uh, that are still trying to figure out what they should do on the topic. So uh, 
I guess the call to action is to give me a call. Um, I'm on LinkedIn if uh, you want to find me there or I'm uh, on Twitter or I'm kind of all over the place. So please find me. Also, my my email is jack.sherry at lifefield.com. Uh, we'll talk about how uh, how we can help you get the benefit of what we're describing. One of the challenges that we've encountered in terms of doing what we do in terms of proving, improving outcomes, that in these large firms, it means a lot of collaboration and cooperation within. That also means a lot of politics. So that's actually the biggest enemy of your uh, benefiting from what we're describing is having a lot of different departments uh, working together to pull this off. It's also a fair amount of cost, less so for us. We're not inexpensive, but we're not the problem. A lot of these legacy systems that are in place are, are in the way, but what we're seeing is this move toward a unified managed household, uh, a very smart ecosystem is, is really what a lot of firms are working on and struggling with. And uh, frankly, we can help them with that. We've, we're the first and only to, to really develop this at a number of firms. If they're not doing it, Jack, they're definitely doing their clients a disservice. So, you know, I want all of our listeners to hear that. If you do not have your accounts coordinated, you are absolutely leaving benefits on the table. You're not properly paying attention to risk, to cost, to taxation. Uh, And then certainly if Social Security is not part of that equation either, or you were not even aware that there's 256 different ways to elect Social Security benefits, then let's make sure you get connected with a financial advisor that has some of this life yield backbone supporting them. And there's lots of advisors out there. So even if you're not a large enterprise and Jack's not the right guy to reach out to, find me on LinkedIn, hit me up and we can help get you connected with an advisor that has life yield powering the backbone so that they can be paying attention to these things on your behalf. So thanks, Tommy. This has been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thanks everybody for listening to Beyond the Ordinary here with Jack Sherry, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you liked this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.